0: Okay, so tonight, bezra Sashem, we're going to be starting the new series of Shirim called the Ten Strengths of the Soul. It's going to be an attempt to create an overview of the Sefiros of the Eser that are known in Kabbalah, but our attempt is going to be to try and understand these Sefiros, these ten powers or strengths or or potencies, as we're going to discuss the various forms of translation, not in terms of their ontological or spiritual power as it exists in the realms of Ain Sofiyut and Hashem creating the worlds, but rather we're going to try and understand the Sfirot as they relate to the human being in the nether regions of creation. Meaning to say that we're not going to be looking at the supernal realms of being like we spoke about in the series of Shirim on Rav Kook's Reish Milin or in the Leshem Shavobah Haloma, but rather we're going to be speaking about the human experience, the human understanding or interpretation of the spheros as they exist within our own personal lives in the here and now much more akin to the phenomenological and psychological analysis of experience that we reviewed in the previous series on addiction. But before we begin the ten shirim, where each shir is going to discuss a particular strength, a particular power, or a particular sphera as it exists in the psychological realm or the psychological register, Tonight, what we're going to be spending some time discussing is a number of introductions that are necessary so that we're clear on what we're talking about and more importantly what we're not talking about. So the first half of tonight's class is going to be a description of what the siros are in their ideal form, as they do actually exist as the building blocks of what we refer to as Kabbalah or Panimia Satorah, as explicated through the teachings of Moshe Rabbeinu, through Rabbi Akiva, through Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, through the Arizal, through the Ramak, really, of Moshe Cordovaro, and then through the Arizal, through the Balshemtov, and the different streams in which Kabbalistic thought of the Arizal broke off. As we discussed in the Leshem Shirim, there were four rivers that really carried the teachings of the Arizal. The Pshat of it was the Rashash and his students. The Drash of it was the Ramchal and his students. The Remes of it was the Vilnagon and his students. And the Sod of it, or the inner essence of it, was the Balshemtov and his students, in particular Rabbi Nachman of Breslev and Rabbi Nassin of Breslev. But before we get into the particular forms of understanding the Kabbalah of the Spheros, uh, the psychology of the Spheros, we're going to discuss what the Spheros actually are. And here it's very important that we become aware that there are a number of misunderstandings and misinterpretations that abide, because when people talk about the Spheros, the assumption is that people are speaking about what they refer to as the teachings of Kabbalah, when in reality what they're discussing is New Age spirituality. Because when a person comes and tries to explain the spheros through human experience, that's enough of a reason to understand that the person doesn't know what they're speaking about. Because the spheros, first and foremost, are the building blocks or the vehicles through which the infinite, through which Ein Sof, decided to create the world. Now, as we discussed in the series of Shiram on the Leshem and in the first Shir on Resh Milin, prior to the emergence of the primordial will, the unfathomable primordial will of the infinite, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what the Zohar refers to as kad salik LeMivri Alma, when it arose within his infallible will and his inscrutable will, the desire to create a world where otherness could exist, devoid of the annihilating presence of the infinite light of Orin Sof, so it was a decision that was not rooted in any particular human reasoning, but rather it was a decision of kacha, of this is how it's going to be. Kacha, the Balshemtov points out, and the Magad of points out as well in his commentary on Tikkunei Zohar, is the acronym or the roshe Tevos of Keser Kol Hakesarim, the crown of all the crowns, and this level of the crown of all of the crowns is the loftiest level in the Sefer HaEishdalshlus the highest point at which we can begin and continue to speak as human beings of Hashem's will to create the world. And different tzaddikim and different interpreters in the modern era point out that this acronym, or this roshetevos Tevos," actually spells out the word that we're all familiar with, of kacha. That in Israeli culture and in Jewish culture, when a person says kacha, it means this is my desire, and there's really no argumentation about it, because it doesn't really matter why, this is what I want. So this concept of kacha, of kacha Allah mivri alma, of Hashem's inscrutable desire to create the world, does not fall under the category of human understanding. So when Hashem, Kav Yachol, decided to create the world for reasons unbeknownst to human beings and really insignificant human beings, there was a necessity to minimize or create constrictions, or kalim, if you will, that would limit the infinite light. Now, at first, there was an experience of a tzimtzum, of a constriction or a contraction, um, something we discussed in the Shiram on the Leshem, that this tzimtzum is both literal and figurative at once, that God, so to speak, limited his annihilating presence and created a minimal form of kedusha and infinite light that began to interact with existence. But after that tzimtzum, there was still too much light, there was still an abundance or a saturation of infinitude, of light, so that nothing other than godliness could exist. And in order to effectuate the necessary limitation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu needed to create Midos. Now these Midos, these measurements, mida again means a measurement which implies constriction and limitation, these Midos are what we refer to as the ester spheros that according to the Rishone HaKabalah, starting already in the Sefer Habahir here and expressed in the Sefer Yetzirah and eventually in the Sefer Hazoar until it comes to the Pardes of the Ramak, we have a concept of the Eser Sviros. Now these 10 Sviros, these 10 Kohos, these 10 potencies through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to create the world are vehicles, are methods, are strengths that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to use so that he can funnel or disclose his infinite light in and through these vessels, so that the light would then be refracted and shown into the world of limitation in a minimized form that does not lose its essence. Meaning to say that it would have been easy for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, to say, okay, my infinite light is too strong for the limited creation of the world, so let me just entirely remove it. That would have been a simple answer to the problem. But then what we would be left with is a world devoid of the presence of the infinite. So the difficulty and almost the paradoxical quest of God to create limitation without negating the unlimited presence of infinitude can only be answered through the Esser Now these eser sferos, these ten sferos, these ten strengths, which, as we're going to see, are going to be referred to as starting from the top down as keser or the crown, chachma wisdom, bina understanding, chesed grace and loving kindness, gevura which is strength, severity and intensity. Tiferes, which is beauty or grandeur, netzach, which is victory or endurance, hod, which is gratitude and thanksgiving, yesod, which is connectivity or a foundation, and malchus, which is kingship or presence. <coughs> these 10 strengths, these 10 spheres represent the interface, the point at which the infinite and the finite kiss, thereby allowing a seamless transition between the annihilating presence of ein sof and the limited presence of godliness in a world of Sophiut and Gvul. But the question that bothered the original Mikubalim and the Ramak, Rav Moshe Cordovaros, the Rebbe of the Arizal, who led basically the entire scholarship of Kabbalah prior to the emergence of the Arizal and Svat, the Ramak in his massive Sefer Pardes Rimonim. <coughs> the Orchid of Pomegranates, in the fourth char, in the fourth gate of his Sefer, he discusses a perennial question that bothered the original Kabbalists. Now the question was as follows. These spheros, these 10 vessels, these 10 strengths, these 10 potencies through which God decided to funnel his infinite light, thereby minimizing and measuring it and limiting it so that it can be received in a manageable way by creation what is the status of these Esser Spheros? Are they simply vehicles? Are they simply instrumental? Are they insignificant tools that God has used to interact with the world? Which is going to refer to the Spheros as Kalim, an opinion that the Ramak attributes to the Rakanti, or Are these 10 spheros going to be much more than simply instruments and kalim, but are they actually going to be the essence of God, so to speak, as it manifests within this world? Meaning to say, in practical terms, the question is as follows. These spheros, once we recognize the need for there to be an interface, the need for there to be a transitionary space, a potential space wherein the infinite can manifest infinitude, or where the unlimited can manifest as limitation, or where the infinite light of God can create a world that does not lose its sense of self-existence because of the infinite light of God, these 10 spheros, this bridge, what is the status? Is it part and parcel of God? Is it God himself, so to speak, or Atmos? Or are these simply instruments or secondary tools that God has created so as to interact with the world? Now, after pointing out numerous issues with each opinion, so for example... If we say that they're simply instruments, if we say that these esser spheros are simply inessential tools that God has created after his infinite existence to create a world and interact with the world, then we have the problem of living in a space, living in existence that is devoid of a relationship with the essence of God, so to speak, something that is tantamount to heresy in the sense that the world stands on its own, devoid of any interaction with its creator. So for the Ramak, the instrumental theory of Tziros, the Kalim, seeing the Tziros simply as something that is separate and a part of divinity or Ein (coughs) Sofiut, is not enough of an answer. And on the other side, the assumption that the Esser Sviros themselves are part and parcel of God, are (coughs) Atzmuso Yisparach Kavyechol, the essence of God in whatever sense that means, then we run into the problem of negating the entire possibility of a world of limitation. Because if we say that the Esser Spheros are still the infinite manifestation of God, so then infinity and finite measurement are paradoxical in terms and they can't exist simultaneously, so then we recognize that the world doesn't truly exist. So either side of the opinion of the nature of the Esser Spheros, either that they are instrumental kalim insignificant vessels that God has created after his true essence, so to speak, or they're part and parcel of his true essence, of atsmuso, both of those opinions are not okay with the (coughs) Ramak. And what the Ramak answers in this fourth sharm Pardes Rimonim, in order to try and come to terms with the proper understanding of what exactly is it that we mean when we talk about these ester spheros, these ten spheros, these ten strengths, these ten spheres, these ten numbers that God has created or emanated, so to speak, so that infinity can transition into finitude and that gvul can be born out of Biltigvul, that limitation can emerge out of the unlimited, so what the Ramak comes on to is a, a synthesis of both opinions. And he says that the spheros are neither kalim nor atzmos. The spheros are neither inessential vessels or essential essence, but rather the spheros in a paradoxical way are the expression of essence, which is the title of this year, the shir, year, the expression of essence. That in a sense, the spheros somehow, some way, in a paradoxical, mystical knowledge where two opposites can interact, that one, that Pela Elyon that we discussed in Os Aleph of Reish Milin, and the theory that animated the series of Shira the leshem, that the spheros are at once both Etzem and Akli. Because when we look at the spheros, what we're talking about are ten strengths. 10 capacities, 10 potencies that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has expressed or disclosed from within the recesses of his infinitude and that these vessels in their externality, if we simply look at the external casings of these spheros, they are devoid of the infinite light of spirituality or kadusha that animates them. But these 10 vessels, these 10 kalim, these 10 midos are themselves the veils or the glass that HaKadosh Baruch Hu discloses his essence through. So that on the one hand, the spheros are nothing but vessels that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has created. So they are kalim that are devoid of the infinite light. So that when we speak about them, we can speak about limitation and difference and limitation and constriction without falling into kfira of limiting the infinite. Yet at the same point, these vessels are not separate and apart from godliness, but rather that they are the modes of expression through which God has decided to express himself. So that when we talk about the spheros, we're always already talking about two aspects of the same thing. The two aspects are the externality of the spheros, which are going to be the vessels themselves that devoid of the animating light of infinity that flows through them are going to be meaningless and devoid of Kedusha. Yet the panemius, the inner into- interiority of these spheros, are going to be the flowing, emerging light of infinitude from within the recesses of infinity into the constriction and the limitation of finite creation. And the Ramak in this parak in Shardalid in Perak Dalid, gives three Mishalim, three examples for us to try and understand how these spheros actually work. How it can be that there's such a thing of an interface that is both part of God and not part of God at once. Something that should be familiar to people who have listened to the Shirim on the Leshem, Shaboba Haloma. And what the Ramak says is as follows. He says, first off, we can look at the spheros themselves as vessels that contain water. Different shapes, different vases, different glasses or cups that stand at the ready to receive the influx of fluidity that flow into them when it's poured in. Now the water itself in its essential form is formless. The water is unified no matter where it is. The fact that the water takes on a different shape when it enters into a particularly formed vessel doesn't change the essence of the water itself. Yet to the perceiving eye, to the human being who is looking at the water as it is encapsulated within the vessel itself, what we see is the shape of the water that is imposed on it by the shape of the vessel. But nevertheless, in spite of the fact that what we behold with our naked eye meets from our human perspective, in spite of the fact that we perceive the shape of the water, Nevertheless, the water itself is unified with all other forms of water that are contained within the different shapes and vessels. So that the cereals can be understood as different shapes of glass that contain within themselves the unified form of water, that in spite of the fact that there are going to be now 10 different manifestations and forms of water, nevertheless, the unified sense and order of the water and its purity remains unified in its totality. The second muscle, the second analogy that the Ramak gives for understanding the nature of the spheros and their interaction between infinity and finitude, and how we bridge this paradoxical space of limitation that needs to be limited without losing its unlimited form, The answer that he gives, and he says that we're going in sequential form, so this is even a closer analogy to the true essence, is going to be sunlight that is refracted through 10 different hues of glass. That when sunlight descends into the world or it descends into a dwelling place where a person is living, the sunlight, the light rays that are descending from the sun are unified and indifferent that in spite of the fact that they might enter in through different use of glass, thereby taking on a different shape and color according to the structure or the status of the individual in the room, in spite of the differentiation that takes place as it emerges through the varied forms of veils and glass, the light remains unified in its source so that we can speak at once of two paradoxical assumptions, that the light appears different in each room Yet nevertheless, the light is unified in its source. So too the 10 spheros. The 10 spheros are different refracting glasses through which the infinite light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu descends into this world. And in spite of the fact that according to the measurements and the color and the you and the experience and the phenomenological situatedness of that glass in each and every particular situation, with all of its myriad differences, nevertheless, the unified light itself that emerges from the sun is going to be one and the same. So we hold on to the secret of unity while allowing for difference, with neither canceling the other out. And finally, the last analogy that the Ramak gives, which is going to be the one that is most germane to what we're going to be discussing, Be'ezrus Hashem in these series of Shirim, is the relationship between the soul and the body. Now, medievally speaking, what Ramak is going to say is that just like the soul is unified in all of its aspects and the aspect of spirituality that animates the arm is no different than the aspect of spirituality that animates the leg in its spiritual sense or the eye or the mouth or the nose, nevertheless, each is going to be refracted and disclosed through the myriad forms of the body in its own differentiated status. Now the soul remains purified and unified in its infinite nature, yet nevertheless it can be disclosed through differentiation and through disparate forms without losing its unity. So what the Ramak is trying to show us here <coughs> is that the paradoxical answer as to what the role of these Yud Siros are is that they're the vehicle that infinity uses to disclose itself through difference Yet the difference and the differentiation and the multiplicity that takes place as a result of the varied forms of the spheros, these tens different shapes, does not negate the unity of the light that is shining through it. So that paradoxically speaking, what we find is an interface between the unlimited unified light that remains unlimited and unified in spite of the fact that it is being disclosed to us through two different forms, or ten different forms. Now the reason this is so fundamentally important when discussing the Sferos is because when a person begins to discuss the Sferos without knowledge of the Sod HaYichud, of the promise of maintaining divine unity, something that the Baal Shem Tov and his students came to apply to Kabbalah, in particular Hasidus as it's disclosed through the writings of the Rebbe and the Balatanya and the Semach And if a person wants to look at the fullest explication of this, treatment of Syros, they can look at the mitzvah ha'amanas elokus, the mitzvah, the commandment to believe in God, as described in the Sefer, derech Secha, from the Tzemach Tzedek, from Rav Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, who was the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the son of the Mitla Rebbe. Over there, what the Tzemach Tzedek spounds countless pages expressing is the secret of unity that the infinite light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not changed, God forbid, does not undergo any ontological or actual differentiation as it emerges in the ten varied spheros, but rather this mediated experience of the divine light through the ten different varied vessels is simply perspective. It's simply our interpretation of the infinite light as it descends through the lenses and the veils and the constrictive measures that God has placed, which we refer to as the Esser sviros. Now, moving beyond the Ramak, what we can also try and say to understand the role that the sviros play in the formation of the worlds and the ontological reality of themselves, which is not going to be the Tachlos of the Shirim, we can return back to something that served as the foundation to the shirim of Rav Kuk on Reish Lin, as well as the shirim of the Lashem Sheva Haloma, and also the shirim of addiction, which are the teachings of Rabbeinu Azriel of Gorona. Rabbeinu Azriel of Gorona, who was the Rebbe of the Ramban in Kabbalah, who the Arizal and the Ramak both testify to the validity and the authenticity of his Kabbalistic teachings, and Rav Kook said the Pemale to his student, to his main disciple, the Nazir Hakadosh, that the main theme of his teachings are the teachings of Rabbeinu Azriel of Gorona. And the Lashem Shuvah Chaloma also writes in countless places that his unique form of Kabbalistic hermeneutics is deeply informed by the writings of Rabbeinu Azriel, where Rabbeinu real of Gorona writes, as explicated in the Sefer Derech Emuna of Rav Meir ibn Gabai, who Rav Moshe Shatz Shlita came to teach in the world, is that in order for the infinite to be truly infinite, it must maintain and contain the capacity to manifest in limitation. If we are to say that Ein Sof, that the unlimited nature of God is truly infinite, it must have the capacity of manifesting within limitation as well, without losing its unlimited nature. Because if we are to say that the infinite is infinite only in the infinite realms, then what we're doing is we're being memayyate, we are detracting from its infinitude by saying that it cannot manifest infinitude. So therefore we need to somehow paradoxically find within infinity within Ein Sofiyot, within the godly power, the capacity of God to manifest within limitation as well without losing its infinitude. And that's been the entire series of teachings that we've been trying to express from the beginning of Reish Milin is that for HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kav Yachot, to fully manifest himself, it must be able to be manifested within the lowest realms of being itself, within the lowest experiences of this worldliness which we discussed in the last series of Shiram, of addiction that's specifically in Daika within the broken experience of the Balchuva, of the student of Shammai, of the Neshama of Kayin, that's where we have the capacity of disclosing the infinite light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, when Rabenu Azriel is discussing the interface between the Koyach Habiltigvul, the unlimited capacity of godliness, and the paradoxical presence of the capacity of limitation that is unlimited, the ability of God, so to speak, to manifest within limitation, yet not losing his unlimited status, what Rabbeinu Azriel refers to, this kaya hagvul. is this capacity of limitation that exists within the unlimited, he refers to that as the eser spheros. The eser spheros themselves, these ten vessels, these ten spheros, these ten strengths that HaKadosh Baruch Hu disclosed from with his, his, within his infinite hiddenness, are in and of themselves the vehicle or the method through which the infinite manifests infinitude of the unlimited manifesting within limit without losing its unlimited status or its infinite status. Now this koyach ha-gvul this paradoxical power of limitation that is unlimited, so it's the propensity towards limitation and brokenness and differentiation yet still containing its undifferentiated status, that is expressed in the Yud Sviros. And for that reason, for this paradoxical reason, when we look at Sefer Yud Sira, the second Mishnah in Sefer Yud Sira, <coughs> the Eser Sviros are referred to as Eser Sviros Belima. Eser Sviros Belima Sofam Na'udz Bet-chilasam, Bet-chilasam These ten Sviros without substance their end is embedded in the beginning and their beginning is embedded in the end, something that we're going to discuss in both next week's year on Keser and the last year in the series on Malchus. But this concept of Belima as the interpretations of Sefer Yitzhira go, especially according to the Ramban, the Raivid, and the Vilnagon, <coughs> is that Belima, these Esser Spheros, are both substantive and non-substantive. They're both something and nothing at once. They're ten spheros, Sphira, which is implicative, implicative of number and measurement, of mispar, of counting, and sapir, and the ability to look at something and measure it and limit it. And at the same point, it's Belima, it's without any measure. So when a person comes to talk about the Yud Sphiros, it's very important that we don't speak of each sphera as being separate and distinct from one another, as if there are ten manifestations of godliness in this world, chas v'shalom, something that the Rishonim, who were aligned with the more philosophical way of thinking about HaKadosh Baruch, who already call out in Shuvah Sarivash and Simon Kofiud Bey's. In Simon Kofiyud Beyes and the Tzema Tzaddek brings this down in Mitzvah Ha'amanah Sadokus and Mitzvah Hatzfile in his Sefer Darach Mitzvah Secha, we already have this question from the Rishonim. They say that we question Christianity, we question the religion of the Trinity, which sees divinity, God forbid, is being broken up into a heretical tr- trinity of 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 three different modes of expressing infinitude, why are we any less guilty? We talk about, we should be referred to as kasa asirim says the Rivash. We should be referred to as the group who differentiate godliness into ten different categories. We're even worse than saying three categories. Now, the answer that the Semaq that gives is the answer of Yichud and the Sod HaAchtus, which we're going to discuss in this year. But the answer is that it's not ten different expressions of godliness, God forbid. It's ten refractions of the same essence. So that when a person speaks of keser, chachmabina, or Gurat faras netzachod yisod, or malchus, we're not talking about ten separate entities that exist in and of themselves, devoid of any interconnection to one another, but rather we are talking about ten expressions of the same essence. And with that, we can properly understand what the Sviros mean in terms of their ideal form in the creation of the world. That the Esar Sviros, these 10 vessels, these 10 kalim, these 10 strengths, or these 10 kochos that HaKadosh Baruch Hu discloses within the world are simply the vehicles or the methodology through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu discloses himself in this world. Now, with the emergence of the Arizal, as we spoke about in the series of Shirim on the Leshem and in the sixth year of Reish milin on Osvav, these spheros become partsufim. These spheros begin to be referred to as configurations. Because in truth, each sphera that we're going to be discussing, each and every particular sphera of the ten spheros contains within themselves the totality of all of the other spheros. As a system of monotheistic unity, Kabbalah is situated upon the theory that each and every part of the system contains the entirety of the system within itself. What Rav Shach, and what Rav Morgenstern, referred to as the holographic theory of unity, which is the realization that as you enter into any particular, what you come to find is the containment of the entirety of the whole within each and every particular, that like a hologram, that is able to refract a particular image that it has received from laser imaging, if you were to break that hologram into 10 different pieces, what you would not have is 10 disparate shards of glass, but rather each and every part of glass would contain within itself in miniature form the entirety of the image that was previously imparted onto that glass. So too, when we look at the spheros, the spheros are not separate entities that reflect one particular part of a whole, but rather each and every part of the system contains within itself the entirety of the whole, which is what the Arizal came to point out in his theorization of Part Sufim. And for our sake, this is something that we discuss in the time period that we're in right now in spheros HaOmer, when in the 49 days of counting sphera, when counting the lower seven spheros, the chesed, gvura, teferes, netzach, od, yisod, and malchus of the system, what we talk about is chesed, sheba chesed, and gvura, sheba chesed, and tefer, sheba chesed, and netzach, sheba chesed, etc. That each and every particular sphero contains within itself the entirety of all of the other spheros. So that the only difference between chesed and gvura is the emphasis upon which strength is being expressed. But each part contains within itself the all. And that is a fundamental understanding when it comes to discussing the spheros to not, God forbid, come and think that we're discussing 10 separate manifestations of godliness, 10 separate manifestations of separateness, but rather we are talking about 10 expressions of a unity. And this is how we're going to transition to discuss what we're going to be discussing in this upcoming series of classes. Because... One of the abiding rules, one of the abiding laws that animate Kabbalah is that what is true above is also true in the middle and is also true below. That just like Chazal tell us that for MS to be true, for something to be essential and to be true, it needs to be true in the beginning, in the middle, as well as the end. Which is why Chazal tells us the word MS, the word that represents truth in the ontological sense of truth, not simply telling the truth, but simply the right expression of existence, it must run through the gamut of the Aleph, which is the beginning, the Mem, which is the middle, and the Taf, which is the end. That for something to be true, it must be unchanging from its highest point down to its lowest point. So too with our experience. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world through esser Sviros or these Esser Spheros are going to be manifested in five parts Zufim, like the Arizal says. But these Esser Spheros are not simply true in the upper echelons of creation, in the idealized form of the supernal infinite worlds, but rather they're also going to need to be true in lowest realms of existence as well, in the human experience, because what we see above is reflected down below. And our only capacity to understand that which is above is our capacity to reflect on that which is below. So if the Esser Spheros, if these 10 spheres, if these 10 vessels, if these 10 powers or potencies exist above in their idealized form as the transition from infinitude to finite experience, the same is going to be true when it comes to the human being. If an individual wants to understand their makeup, If an individual wants to understand how we function or what drives our experience in this world, both phenomenologically, psychologically, and experientially, what we need to reflect upon is that we are mere reflections. We are mere shadows of that which exists above, which is why Kabbalah, which can be referred to as the full gamut of the inner teachings of Judaism, of the secrets of Torah, is also etymologically rooted with the word ha which means equivalency. That the entire order of Kabbalah is seeing an equivalency, is finding the connectivity and the, and the symbolic relationship between one level of experience and levels of experience that are above it, up to and including the highest realm of being. So that what we see in the lowest level is simply a lower iteration of what is true on the highest level as well. And that is how we come upon discussing the ester spheros from a psychological perspective. Because while the spheros are the entryway of the infinite into finitude on the ontological and spiritual level, they are also going to be the essential makeup of everything that exists within the world. Because if they're the way the world is created, they're also going to be the DNA or the makeup or the stem cells of that which is existing. And within the human being themselves, what we have is a Klau based on the Pasuk in Eov, in the 19th parak of Eov, which is, Mi basri eloika, that from my flesh itself, I shall be able to perceive God. That once removed from the supernal realms of being, once existence has undergone a myriad of traumatic cataclysms that have, that have removed it and pushed it away from its original, essential, and idealized form, whether it was the original contraction of the tzimtzum or the primary trauma or the primordial and constitutive trauma of Shvira Sakhalin or the exilic experience of being kicked out of Gan Eden after the original primordial transgression or the different hurbanos, the different destructions that have undergone throughout each and every generation, we no longer find ourselves having access to the supernal realms of being. We no longer find ourselves having access to the truth of the supernal spheres or the ten spheros. But what we do have access to is our own flesh. What we do have access to is our own brokenness, our own experience as embodied creatures who live within a world of materiality that appears devoid of Kedusha. And what Chazal teach us and what Eov teaches us and what the Balshem came to be Mahadesh for us is that just because we've lost access to the lofty realms of spirituality, just because we've lost access to that which remains above in its supernal form, does not mean that we've lost access to an understanding of it and an experience of it. That there is a way to access these teachings. There is a way to access the supernal form and makeup of existence from within our lowly experience, from the experience of our flesh. From our embodiments, from the thisness of our lives. Me Bisari Echeza Eloikai. From my flesh itself, from my human experience itself, I can find the same workings, the same construction of being that exists within the loftiest realms of existence. And not only can I, but it is Dafka here that I have the ability to understand it in an embodied and true way. The Sod Yesharim, in his teachings on Pesach, has a very short line, but it's an incredible statement that I've been thinking about for the past two weeks. When interpreting this Pasuk of Mi Bisari Echaza Eloikai, from my flesh I shall behold God, which means that if the human being wants to understand Kedusha, wants to understand the Esther's theoros, wants to understand how God interacts with the world and with the universe, we need not find access back to the original pre-lapsarian, pre-simpsum state of infinitude, but rather we can look at our own broken experience in this world. The sodhisharm says that Bisari from my flesh, from my body, from my physical form, he says when we look at any of the teachings already originating within Chazal, the binary opposition that is set up between the body and the soul is that the soul represents shleimut, the soul represents spiritual wholeness and things in their perfected form, while the body represents lack, represents the sorrow and then things in their broken and real form. It's the relationship between the ideal and the real, between night and day, between the way things should be and the way things actually are. And instead of finding the distortion and the pain between the two contradictory realms, we have the ability to find godliness within basari itself, within the broken experience of our own lived life, the phenomenological realm of lived fleshy experience. That is where we can find God. Me Bissari, from within my Chisaron itself, says the Sodiyasharim, from within my realized state where the ideal is no longer apparent where when I talk about the Esser Spiros, I'm no longer talking about the interface between the infinite and the finite, but I'm talking about the interface between hope and hopelessness, between darkness and light. It's specifically there where I have the ability of understanding how HaKadosh how God created the world, how God interacts with the world, and how God is directing the world towards its eventual unity, which stands at the ready to be disclosed once limitation is shown to contain the unlimited as well. Now, umi bisari echaz eloika, from my flesh I shall behold godliness. The way that this is interpreted in myriad texts of Hasidic philosophy is that from within my own lived experience, from the interaction between my body and my soul, from my psychological construction, from the different experiences, from the moods that I experience in the world, that is how I can behold God's operational process in the world that as a human being, I find myself operating in different moods. And as the philosophers have pointed out so many times, moods are not simply things that I find myself in, but moods are rather phenomenological lenses through which I perceive experience. So that when I'm sad or I'm angry or I'm excited, it's not simply something that I accidentally find myself in, but it is rather a you, it is a color of glasses that I see all of experience through. That a mood or an attitude or an effective posturing towards the world or a mode of paying attention is not simply something accidental, but it is rather something essential. And that I can look at the spheros this way as well. The spheros, as we're going to be discussing throughout this year, are psychological moods not moods in the sense that I accidentally feel like chesed or Gvura or teferes, but rather if I am accessing a particular sphira, if I am living within a particular sphira from within my neshama, because again, the sphiros make up our neshama, they make up everything in the world, because the bottom is reflective of the top and the lower realms are reflective of the higher realms, what I am experiencing is a way of viewing the world, that the sphiros are philosophical and psychological moods, embodied states through which I can perceive the world. And Rabbi Nachman of Breslov expresses this profoundly well, which is something that is very Nogaya, something that is very practical for what we're discussing at this point in time. In the 182nd teaching, Kuf Pei Beis, in the first volume of L'Quita Maharan, (coughs) Rabbi Nachman says as follows, Duh! everything that the world is talking about during the days of Svirah, everything that happens during the days of Svirah, all of the misinterpretations and interpretations and foolishness and excitement and wisdom and pain and joy and news and music and experiences that a person has within the days of Svirah, in truth, they're only reflecting the sphira that abides within that day, the particular sphira. So tonight, today, yesterday was so tonight is the beauty within constriction. So anything that a person says throughout the day today, any news that we read, any experience throughout the world over is going to be simply a refraction or an expression of that particular sphira. Hey, medabra me shel and somebody who has the capacity of understanding and discerning they have the capacity of understanding this imita asno heev Divaram. If a person actually pays attention and penetrates into the depth of what's being spoken, it will become apparent that what's going on is a discussion that is refracted and reflective of that sira and that particular moment. That the spheros are not simply modes of experience, but rather they are lenses through which experience is seen. And psychologically speaking, they are moods that, through which we see the world. They're not moods that we have, but rather they're lenses or their attitudes or postures or effective movements or posturing through which we experience life. That each and every person has the capacity of seeing life in 10 different ways. And all of the myriad and infinite combinations of the different pathways. What we're going to be discussing in this series of Shiram is what are these Paradigms. What are the archetypes of the moods? What are the 10 general categories as expressed from within the writings of our tzaddikim and the writings of our thinkers? What are these 10 modes of experiencing ourselves? What are these 10 modes of enjoying ourselves? What are these 10 modes of suffering with ourselves? Now, another significant introduction is from the Shlach HaKadosh, the Shnei Lucha Sabris. And in Chilak Rishon, in Bayez Acharon, the Shloss says something very fundamental, which must be at the forefront of our mind as we discuss the Sviros as they express themselves in the lower realms of our experiences. That when we talk about Kesar, Chach, Mabina, Chesed, Gurat, Faris, Netzach, Yisod, A person can come to misunderstand and think that, okay, chesed is the loving kindness that I'm able to express. It's the overflow of emotion I'm able to express. Or gvura is my withholding or my ability to withhold as it's expressed in my left hand, the left hand of judgment. Now a person, when speaking this way, can come and misunderstand that I have a left hand and I have an aspect of gavura, And that's the essential signifier. That's the essential concept of gavura. And if I want to understand godliness, I experience myself and I apply those concepts to God. So that I am the ichor and God is simply the mashal. That I have a left hand, which is representative of Gavura, for example. And so to God, so to speak, has a yad smol, a left hand above that corresponds to my left hand below. The shlaha HaKadosh says that it's, fundamental to understand that that's the absolutely wrong way to understand things there is a concept of a left hand above. There is a concept of gvura or chesed or teferis or whichever sphere we're talking about. And through the seder ha through the myriad forms of folding and unfolding that create the experience of this worldliness that we live in within each and every moment, we come to find the lowest expression, which is our left hand or our right hand or our experience of spheres from within ourselves, that we are the muscle that there exists, ideally, at the supernal realms of existence, at the, infert- in, at the interface between ein Sophiut and Sophiut, or unlimitation and limitation, there exists a true ontological essential signifier that is representative of the spheros, And as it falls down through the myriad forms of Seder Hashdalshalis to the point that it expresses itself within our experience and our bodied experience or our psychologically lived lives, that is the mushal. We are not the essence, but rather we are simply the dregs or the residual imprint or the stamp of the esser spheros that are rooted in the infinite realms of experience, so that we must never mistake the essence for the inessence or the inessence for the essence. That when discussing the psychological manifestation of the spheros as we can understand them through our own flesh, from my own chisaron, I can come and behold godliness. We must never forget that our own chisaron is simply a reflection of the chisaron above and not the other way around that we are the muscle, that we are the metaphor. We are not the original language, but rather we are the interpretation of the language itself. So when we talk about the Esser spiros as they express themselves within the psychological or spiritual makeup of the neshama, what we must remember is that we are simply talking about the end result of a process that is rooted in the deepest recesses of Ein Sofi'ut. Now, there are a number of psukim, which speak about the unique capacity of the Adam, of the individual, to be able to disclose from within themselves the entirety of experience, the entirety of the worlds. That just like the world is an Adam Gadol, so too the Adam is an Olam Katan. That just like the world is reflective within the human being, the human being is reflective within the world. And that within each and every individual there is an oilam. There is an oilamecha tira b'chayacha. There is an ability that each person has to see the entirety of existence from within our own limited situatedness. Each individual according to their own understanding. Ish Each person according to the heart's desire. Lev yodea maras The heart understands the limitations and the pain of itself, but it also understands its mode of understanding. <coughs> that like we said in the beginning of the Shira Manediction, Bala, <inaudible> that a Hu can be known in the in the gates of each and every individual's heart, shira <inaudible> delay, that each person understands godliness according to their own human understanding, according to the own conjecture of their own heart, that each person has the ability to dispose from within themselves through within their psychological embodiment, from within their broken experience in this worldliness and how we are mitmoded, how we face this world, we can experience the fullness of creation. By touching the essence of ourselves, we are able to touch the essence of existence in its entirety. That somebody who touches simply a part of unity is in fact touching the entirety of unity. And the Pasuk says, in numerous places, it describes to us our ability to understand from within our own psychological movements, from within our own affective experiences, both phenomenologically, psychologically, and experientially, which we're going to be discussing, that we have the ability not only to understand ourselves... But to find within our understanding, to find within our own contemplation and the murmurings and the anxiety and the joy and the excitement and the pain and the fear and the hope and the dread and the desire and the zone and the sweetness and the suffering and the satisfaction and the surrender of ourselves, we have the ability of disclosing and beholding the entire essence. That our experience is no less essential than than that which takes place in the loftiest realms, rather we must be able to disclose from within the prat the claw that animates it, that within each and every part of our experience we have the capacity of touching the whole. The pasuk says, L'cha amar libi b'kshu panai Hashem avakesh. To you, my heart says, to you, Hashem, to you, God, my heart says, I desire to seek your face. And Rashi on this Pasuk and Tehillim says that my own desire to seek you out, God, comes from you. The murmuring of my heart, the desires of my emotions, my emotional makeup, the things that push me closer and further from goodness in my world are messages from you. So that the emotional life of the individual becomes prophetic. Our emotional experience becomes a full expression of godliness. Our own sipur, our own personal narrative, may that the sviros themselves are telling a story. What they're telling is the story of each and every individual's desire to connect to where they're rooted. That within ourselves there is a narrative that is always moving, a sipur, a sipur that is trying to interpret the sefer that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has written for us. That God wrote a book, and the world is that book, like Rav Tzadok and like the Vilna Gaon write. And that book can only be interpreted through our own personal narrative interpretation, through our sipur. So the Sefer, the book of existence, can only be interpreted through the narrative, the individualized narrative, the sefor of our souls, which are going to be told through the Eser Sviros, through the ten strengths of our experience. The Pasuk says as well, it says, it says, when Eov is suffering, when Eov, the person who teaches us from my own suffering, from my own brokenness, I have the ability to behold godliness, that within my own experience I can disclose the ten spheros, and in spite of the fact that I no longer have access to the supernal realms of wealth as they exist in the world of the infinite, or at silos, I can still behold it within my broken state, Eov's friends are trying to comfort him. And after all of their comforts fail, Eov says, It is clear that there is Ruach, there is a spirit within human beings, and the soul of the divine is what understands them, or where their understanding comes from. And Rabbi Nachman uses this Pasuk countless times in Sefer L'Kutimaharan, because the way the Mefor understand this Pasuk, Nishmat Shaday Tavineim, What it means is that all of our understanding, all of our personal experiential understanding, our phenomenological situatedness within this worldliness, each individual according to their own status, is the expression of divinity from within their own particular soul through within their own particular estrospheros. That just like God is unlimited and he needs the midos, so to speak, the ten spheros to limit his unlimited light in order to be understood, so too the human being is unlimited. Our souls are unlimited. Our (laughs) chelak alay kamimala, our unconscious oceanic sense of united infinitude, is infinite unless it is disclosed and refracted through particularized forms and moods. And it is specifically these moods that teach us what Hashem is trying to teach us about. So not only is this series of Shirim going to be an explication on each strength and each potency within the soul, but it's also going to be the sepore the narrative that each person has the ability to disclose from within their own emotional state from within their own psychological state, from within their own brokenness, and the way they behold the world, their own particularized form of understanding, they have the ability to disclose the true essence of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to create within the world. Next week, Be'ezrus Hashem, what we're going to be discussing is first, the first Svira in the chain of the Sviros, which is going to be Keser, which is going to be the discussion that has bothered Mikubalim and sadiqim for a long time as to whether Kesser is representative of Ta'anug, of pleasure, or Ratson desire. And what we're going to discuss is the explication of different sadiqim that both are true, that it is the pleasure of desire itself that is expressed in Kesser itself.